0: This is Good Humans Podcast with me, Cooper Chapman, chatting to the world's best about the inspiring stories that got them to where they are today. What's going on, you Good Humans? Welcome to guest episode 101 of Good Humans Podcast. Today's episode is maybe the one of the most fascinating chats and most interesting and almost probably I'd call sad chats I've ever had to have. With this awesome lady by the name of Natalie London, she has got a crazy, crazy journey and you're going to love it. A big thank you to our sponsors, Drink A Rapper, always supporting this podcast. I know I like trying to take, take care of my brain. I know everyone who listens to this podcast likes to take care of their brain. So if you haven't already gone over and bought or checked out Drink A Rapper, head over to their website, drinkarepper.com. You can look at all the science that's gone into this amazing product. It's a brain function drink, good for short-term performance, long-term brain health I use it to replace my second coffee and drink it throughout the day and I absolutely love it. I feel like I see so many benefits and the science all proves that you will see benefits. So if you head over to drinkarepper.com, use the code goodhuman, you can get a massive 25% off or you can check it out in Coles and Woolies. Look for the purple glass jar with the big A on it. Thank you so much to drink for for continuing to support this podcast. Also, if you want to support this podcast, you want to support my journey with the Good Human Factory and you want to... Grab some products that are going to help you change your world. That's going to inspire your community to think a bit differently about mental health. Those little reminders of being kind to our mind, of practicing gratitude. That's what our merch is all about. A little way that you can spread the Good Human Factory message throughout your community. Help change your world. Head over to the uh, website, thegoodhumanfactory.com. Use code podcast. You get a huge 25% off all of our merch. I love seeing you guys wearing it. Make sure you tag me in any of your photos you wear at the Good Human Factory. I love to see you guys supporting it. And yeah, can't thank you enough. All right, today's episode Natalie London. This lady has had the most wild story. And so many of the um, lead ups to where she is today fell perfectly into place for her to be able to have the impact she is now. So, Natalie works for a, com- uh, a charity called Project Rescue Children. And far out, they do some amazing work. The organization is all about trying to rescue children who are in uh, sel- who are being trafficked, whether it be through sex trafficking, human trafficking. Uh, she explained to me some really scary stories about what we have going on here in Australia with pedophile suppression orders. Um, yeah, this whole conversation just really opened my mind to some of the things that I was quite sheltered to. Hopefully you enjoyed the episode. Hopefully you find some things that you could... Yeah, maybe try and make a bit of an impact if you can at the end and you're interested in trying to support. There's going to be a link in the show notes to donate. But, yeah, just sit back, enjoy Natalie's story. If you enjoy it, tell a friend about it. We've got to raise the awareness for all these amazing topics. And, yeah, make sure you like, subscribe, do all that good stuff for this podcast give us a little five-star rating. That also helps. And yeah, you can leave us a little review or a little review of what you thought of this episode if you're listening on Spotify in the uh, yeah little Spotify section. So thanks so much for tuning in. Let's jump straight into today's episode. Welcome to Good Humans Podcast, Natalie London. And how you going, Natalie? I'm
1: really good. Thank you so much for having me here. Oh. It's an honor.
0: No, it's <laughs> going to be an interesting chat. You yes. have a wild line of work that I think is far not talked about, and I'm really excited to learn about it. But firstly, to learn a bit more about your story, but maybe quickly to open the chat. Yeah. What What is the work that you're doing right now that is so important?
1: Yeah, so the work that I'm doing at the moment is I'm director for an international organization um, called Project Rescue Children. And this organization, we rescue children from child trafficking and exploitation on a global scale. So we are a registered um, charity foundation And we are an Australian organisation, a UK organisation and a Gambian organisation. So wow, we're operating in like 14 countries around the world.
0: Wow. Well, we're going to catch up to that because that's super interesting, but we're going to get to know why you do the work you do and learn your story a bit more. So the first question I do open All Good Humans podcast with is, what are you grateful for right now?
1: (sighs) I'm grateful for being right here for you allowing me to you know have a voice and to share this message that not many people are aware of so this is what I'm grateful for right now.
0: Beautiful great one another thing that I do start the podcast with we were having a look at them before I told you you couldn't open it yet but Drink A sponsors our podcast they're a brain function drink from over in New Zealand I've had their founders their lead neuroscientists on basically it's going to make our brain perform better for the next hour so we've got the performance one, which isn't fizzy, which I haven't put in the fridge, so it's not cold. It's a bit stronger, a bit more potent. That's kind of your high-performance one, scientifically proven. It's going to improve our brain performance. Then there's also the light mm-hmm. and sparkling, which is the ones that I have that are cold, which is a little less potent, Yeah. but I really like it. It's a little less strong. It's they fizzy. It's quite delicious. nice. So I'm going to let you try one. Do you want fizzy or do you want not fizzy? Not
1: fizzy. If that's not Oh, should sure I go? I'll go no, the
0: No, no, go, go the, go the not. Right. It's not cold, but I'm going to go with performance that's too because it'll right. make us think better. So, yeah a rapper that's amazing From over in new zealand yeah give a little Whoops. Sorry.
1: <laughs> cheers awesome. cheers
0: welcome to good humans podcast thank you so good
1: oh it's delicious mm. you can definitely taste the black currant it's beautiful
0: mm. very good so i will get some sent down to you if you like it but yeah yes. big thanks to a rapper so let's get into the chat what do I need to know about Natalie that shaped her to be today? So let's rewind back to the beginning. Where were yeah. you born? What was life like as a, I guess, a kid up till high school? Family dynamics. Yeah. How was your childhood from what you can remember and what you're willing to share?
1: Yeah. Okay. Well. Um. Goodness. All right. Taking my mind back there. <laughs> I um. So I actually grew up in Jindabyne. So I grew oh. up in the snowy mountains. Amazing. Yeah. Which was just it was just the best. Just growing up down there around the mountains and also having, you know, like school skiing and snowboarding as part of our like school curriculum growing up down there as well. So my um my parents originally met um like ten or so years earlier. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um as um ski instructors up at Threadbow. So they um they'd been around that area for some time. So yeah, when, um, when we moved to Jindabyne when I was younger, I went to Jindabyne Public School. So I went there from kindy to year six. Wow, my
0: little, my little sister's going to work there for this season. She's a mad little snowboarder. Oh, and She yeah. just qualified as a primary school teacher at uni. I think she graduates next week and she's going to go do the winter terms down there.
1: Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. It's just the best experience doing like the winter seasons down there. Oh, I love I'll that. share that I, I did do like a full season because... Part of my story is that I had to move away for a bit, yeah. But yeah, so I um yeah grew up down Gendervine, and that was like an incredible experience, as I've said. And
0: any siblings?
1: I have an older brother and a younger brother. So my older brother is eighteen months older than me, and my younger brother is eight years younger mm. than me. Um, our family dynamic growing up it was it was complicated, but we were definitely like we're still like a family unit um although as the years went on i did experience um quite a bit of like family breakdown and so forth um however um still have a great relationship with both of my parents which is just amazing but yeah with um growing up in jindabaie it um It was funny because, like, it was all going really well up until I started getting, when we were in primary school and, you know, as you go through primary school, sometimes as kids are trying to figure out who they are themselves, they tend to, what we understand now, project a lot Mm -hmm. of their own insecurities on other people. So as I started to, it was like, well, yeah, it was probably about year year six. It was probably about year five and year six. I experienced a bit of bullying. And that for me was such a like a core fundamental part of, you know, the start of my growth, as well as learning about a lot more about my family and my family history as well, because there was, um, you know, a bit of a bit of trauma there as well that was coming through into the family dynamic. So it was it wasn't nest necess- like it was a beautiful upbringing and then at the same time there was How challenges, challenges yeah. yeah so yeah when I was in year six I experienced a bit of bullying and that quite like it was like my good group of friends that I'd been friends with for some time it felt like they completely turned against me and I experienced some things that really made me question from a young age like who am I like why are they treating me this way and as someone that's always been quite self-reflective, I I was going through, I guess, a kind of awakening within myself, uh-huh. like to who I am and and just like how I don't want to be treated and how I don't want other people to be treated as well. So
0: oh, it's crazy that you can reflect back to then and remember, but also, yeah, understand kind of how you must have been feeling back then. Like it's obviously yeah. a while ago. So it's yeah, it's interesting to hear you be able to reflect back to that and understand that you had that maturity at such a young age.
1: Yeah, there was definitely, you know, the balance between oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. maturity. You're still ten, years old. Yeah, you're still 10 <laughs> yeah. years old, but yeah, that
0: you can look back and know that there was something that there's that intuition, that feeling that mm, this doesn't seem quite right.
1: Absolutely. Well, it's funny you mentioned intuition because intuition has been a huge part of my life. Like from a very young age, I've been intuitive, um, quite spiritual as well. And my mom, she activated a lot of that within me because she herself mm. as well has that that strength and that um oh she's just got this beauty that radiates from within her that has always taught me about you know not judging others and mm. and that intuition and operating from the heart and everything so that was that i guess when i was in u6 when i experienced the height of bullying that for me it it did activate my heart but in a way like to another level but in a way that i was going but i wouldn't treat people like this the so way they treating me it's like, like this empathy. yeah but anyway, so this is where I kind of shifted to the next big chapter in my life because I was in year six and I was about to transition to high school and down in Jindabyne, there's not a great deal of the high school, school options. Yeah. yeah, so there's only like um, a quite expensive grammar school or you've got to travel like 45 minutes into Kuma to go to Monero. And for me, it just they just weren't an option. So... I actually, my older brother at the time had applied for a public selective boarding school that's um, just on the outskirts of Sydney and he had left to go to boarding school when I was in year six and this boarding school was a co-ed boarding school. So I asked my mum and my dad if they'd be all right with me applying. And yeah, moving away five hours away from home—that's so. a
0: big decision at thirteen or twelve, yeah, 12. years <laughs> old. Yeah. What was um yeah what was boarding school like?
1: Uh, boarding school was an incredible experience, like absolutely incredible. It definitely had its challenges as what were well. The
0: challenges: separation from family.
1: Um, the initial yes, yeah, separation from family, and the repercussions of being separated yeah. from family as well. Um, like how family felt about me leaving or about my brother and I both being away like it's obviously quite a hurtful thing to have your children move away but they especially
0: coming from the kids wanting to go yeah because quite often it would be parents going like you know I mean you hear probably 90% of boarding schools are parents who are too busy to take not too busy to take care of their kids but want to give them an education yeah so they're the ones that prompt it but for it to come from you because of your bullying and seeing your brother do it it's a yeah it's a, a unique I feel like experience
1: yeah yeah well at the time one of my good friends from primary school she was also so she was still a good friend of mine she was applying for Helston as well so it was Helston Agricultural College and yeah so I applied for Helston and I got in so then when I was 12, I packed my bags and my parents drove me five hours away from Jindabyne wow. and, yeah, started started at boarding school, which I was at boarding school for six years. Wow. So from and ages was, 12 to 18. And
0: it was 10 weeks at school, go back for the school holidays?
1: Um, yeah, it, it, uh, it wasn't necessarily, yeah, it was about that. Uh, it was kind of, we had closed weekends and we had holidays, But a lot of the time as well on closed weekends, we'd go to our friends' places. So sometimes I wouldn't see my family for a few months or, yeah. But then um, they also regularly, like, made trips to come up and see us, whether they were together or separate. But, yeah. So but the experience of boarding school, like, that that opened me up on a whole nother level because you start boarding school at 12 years old and regardless of having my brother there, um, he had his own life as well and wasn't necessarily overly involved in my life. Um, so, like, I, I did feel like I was, you know, standing on my own two feet. And then, very
0: independent.
1: Yeah. And everyone there is there for their own reasons and they're having their own experience as well. So everyone's kind of like in their own insecurities when you start boarding school at 12 years old. And, like, we were started off in dorms of, like, eight girls, um, and then as the boarding school years went on, I, um, I'll share a bit more about boarding school, but whilst I was at boarding school as well, I was a, um, like a door monitor as well. So, which meant that I looked after all the new girls starting. So when I was 16, uh-huh. I looked after eight, 12 year old girls that yeah. had just started as well. So making sure that they, you know, went to the dining room and like wash their sheets and like a, yeah. all the little mundane things. Um, so yeah, there was quite a lot of growth and responsibility whilst I was there, But kind of the difference with what my friends were experiencing and what I was experiencing was I had a lot of personal things going on in my, like, family life back home and I had a lot of, um, you know, things that I was just working through on my own, Mm. yeah, terms like emotionally and stuff as well. But um, when my mum was, when I started boarding school, my mum, she gifted me the book Louise Hay, You Can Heal Your Life And that's when I started actually looking into, you know, our psychology and just how our daily routines and about everything that occurs in our life is of our creation. So Mm. from 12 years old, I started reading these books and I started writing lots of journals.
0: Wow. So you're super into like self-development from a young age, I feel like.
1: Young age, yeah. As
0: much as it would have been difficult, it sounds like it set you up for being such a strong, independent woman. and breaking down barriers with the work you do now might have come from that forced independence from a young age and having to deal with those difficult times by yourself, like can either make or break people. And it sounds like kind of made you. So getting towards the end of high school, where did you kind of envisage your life was going to go?
1: Yeah. So as I kind of journeyed through high school, I experienced um, like whilst I was, experiencing everything that a teenager experiences and experiencing you know that just the family breakdown as well my parents separating whilst I was at boarding school and just going through a whole lot of those internal struggles as well as I was getting towards the later years I started to just experience um you know just like the the minor things that as teenagers we experience, like anxiety you know just having like my down days as well, just whilst I was processing what was going on and and um but as I said like yeah journaling every day that really helped. And then as I got towards the end of high school it was kind of like I wasn't quite sure exactly where exactly I fitted into the world because when it came to everyone getting ready to go and study at university, like because Helston's quite an academic school, like everyone was getting very high like UAI's and mm. and um, and it was very focused on academic and not focused on creativity at all. And I was all creativity. Like I was in art class doing like my paintings and just putting everything that came from my heart down on paper through writing and through through art. And that was like my release. Mm. And there wasn't much of a emphasis on that being important in life it was kind of like Nat what are you going to apply for at university like where are you going to go what are you going to do and at the time I just didn't want to commit myself to anything in particular and I was still trying to figure that out so I really I gave my all for like the end of high school all of my friends got into all of their degrees like literally my because I have a good group of friends um it's like six of us and we're just like sisters and they all went off and did all their degrees and did amazing um doing all of that and I was just in this place of just like nah I still got more that I need to you know figure out within me before I dive into anything and there was you know some stuff going on back home as well so I just thought you know what I'll apply for university but I didn't I wasn't committed to going and I still didn't know what I was applying for so basically I ended up putting it on the back burner and saying I'd I'd apply as in a couple of years or in a year or so and I just decided I was going back to Jindabyne to do a snow season so that's what I did. So basically whilst everyone was getting their acceptance into uni I was back down Jindabyne and I was um yeah, I was doing the snow season down there, which is where I met my husband. So.
0: Good or bad decision? Do you regret it, or do you oh, are you happy with
1: it? I don't regret it at all. There's not because... many people who
0: who tell you they had a time off and didn't go straight to uni that say they regret it. Yeah,
1: You're yet to meet one. No, I haven't regretted <laughs> it. Many at that all. have
0: said they regretted going straight to uni.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing because a lot of people at that young age we're told, yeah, and we're told to know exactly what we what we're passionate about. Like, what do you want to do in the world? What do you want to do for I the rest n- of your life? I
0: had no idea at 18 that I was going to be running a mental health business at I know. 28. Exactly. That's it. Are.
1: And this is the thing, like, I assume you're probably the same. Like it, takes a, like, it takes the opportunity to actually see the opportunities that are coming your way and, you know, just embrace those opportunities and see where they lead you. And that's what I did.
0: Yeah. Like, if you go straight to uni, you're not gonna find something that makes your heart sing if you're in a place where there's nothing around you yeah. that makes it sing.
1: Well that's yeah. And it's very rare to find that when you just go to uni at yeah. 18 years old. But some people do. But yeah, so I um I went back to gingerbine and, you know, reflecting on my time at my 60s at boarding school I still have like a big container at home full of my diaries I I literally my boarding school diaries I wrote like metaphorical stories and that's how I also um, overcame a lot of like the emotional stuff to do with just like my family breakdown and and also just being away from family because that obviously yeah, that was would have very been hard, so hard, very hard. And then when you go through high school, like everyone experiences like their challenges in high school as well, and like to do that because without having
0: your mum to go and cry to or your dad or just a support person, it's like
1: that's it. You must yeah. become
0: so close with all your girlfriends at booking school.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, we yeah we're really lucky to have like such a yeah. solid group of friends, but. It was um it was just next level. So yeah, when I finished boarding school, I was just focused on, you know, being in the moment, doing the snow season. And then So you're a snowboarder. A snowboarder. Nice. Yeah. I started off as skier. I've been skiing since I was like two. Yeah. But then when I met my husband after the snow season, uh, like during that snow season, um, he was a snowboarder and he was just like, no, you're not skiing anymore. <laughs> yeah. So let's
0: talk about that season of snow. Yeah. Met your future husband at 19. Yeah. That's a pretty unique run out as well of life. So yeah. So let's talk about that next chapter, early 20s.
1: Yeah. So early 20s. Yeah. So I started the snow season when I was 19, um, turning 20. And that's when I met Dane and he was down there for a snow season snowboarding as well, like do it. he was a lifty. And it was just it was awesome actually because the group of friends um that I met down there that Dane was a part of are now still a good part of our life as Amazing. well. So we're around them quite a lot now. And um my friend that introduced Dane and I, she was our bridesmaid as well. So and she um she also has been such a great support for the work that I'm doing now in the Mm. world as well so she's she's not shy to be a voice for the cause that I'm now yeah advocating and and working for so it was just the most incredible experience and then basically it was just a matter of me embracing every opportunity that came my way because once I finished boarding school there was also a lot happening with my family again And I just still wasn't ready to commit to anything much. But then I got offered an opportunity to work at Wollongong University and to – I was basically working um, in like an event space there and I asked them if I could go and study events just at TAFE through an apprenticeship. So I went and did like my diploma and my advanced diploma of event management. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting because I – when I share like what I'm doing in the world and everything else – Everything that I have embraced along the way has literally led me to having the skill set to do what I'm doing today. Mm-hmm. Because throughout my 20s, I did event management, I did um, sales, I did you know mental health work. I just I did I I got offered so many opportunities from people that I met that owned businesses, and they basically it was like time and time again. I'd meet people whilst I'm working in a job and they'd say, oh, you'd be really great doing this job. And I just always had it within me from learning a lot of personal development from a young age. I had it within me that it was important to embrace every opportunity that came my way and I did that.
0: What do you think the key quality is in you that people see why they kept offering you jobs? Because I feel like people will be listening going like, oh, no bloody job opportunities seem to happen in my life. You've obviously got an energy and an aura about you that attracts people to want you to work with them. What do you think that quality is? So.
1: I think for them it was very much um my optimistic outlook on life because generally I can build rapport with people quite um quickly because I don't come from a place of judgment ever. Mm-hmm. So like I'm always looking empathy. at yeah Super empathy. Fun. That's it. Empathy and that intuition as well. It's a really about following that inner compass. Like I've never blocked my inner compass. That's what I call it, which is my intuition and empathy. And it's basically, yeah, I think that because if I think about when I went into sales, because this is interesting, when I was, how old was I? I think I was 23 when I was working at Novotel and event management and I was the wedding planner's personal assistant and I was doing weddings and I was doing all the events and I was working in like every area of the hotel. And one day I was supervising down in the restaurant And a man came in dressed in his like suit and he always came in and just sat by himself and ate dinner. And I went over and I had a chat with him and just I was really curious about like what he did Mm. in the world and like because he held himself with such grounding and he was always kind and he was always dressed really nice. And I went and chatted with him and then after that conversation, oh no, he said to me. He goes, oh, I've got a bit of a cough. And then I said, oh, that's no good. And he goes, oh, no, it's all right. It'll disappear, mind over matter. And and I said, oh, yeah, like that's back then I was really focused on like the law of attraction mm. and and understanding, you know, the laws, all the different the laws secret. of physics and the laws of the universe and everything. Yeah. And um, and anyway, so I had that chat with him and he said, he said, oh, no, like mind over matter, it's just something clearing from my body. And I was like, yeah, totally. And then anyway, he came up to me after that conversation and he offered me his business card and he said I really want you to call this number tomorrow and he wrote a number on it and he said I really want you to call this number tomorrow I've got an opportunity for you and I was like okay cool thank you so much so yeah so the next day I called that number and they invited me into a Mazda dealership and I was like what's going on here like like yeah so anyway I was like oh whatever I'll go in so I went into the Mazda dealership this is down Wollongong and and I went in and I sat down with the principal of the dealership, and basically straight up he offered me a job doing car sales, and I was like, How did this
0: random dude just? Does he own the dealership? He owns the
1: dealership, so he owned the dealership, okay. and he, he gave me the number. He gave me the number to the principal there, and I was like, um, and I was like, all right, like, and then for me again, it was that this is really odd, like selling cars, like what's this got to do with, you know, my purpose in life? Like where is mm-hmm. this going to take me? Like, or is it just, but then I was like, it's an opportunity. So I mm-hmm. embraced the opportunity and it was actually an all-female dealership. So that in itself was really cool. Mm-hmm. And I actually ended up coming um, number one in Australia for Mazda car sales. Wow. Yeah. So there's like this Mazda Guild that you can work towards and it's like all KPI based, like, um, and then like rapport base and everything What do you put else. down your
0: success in that t- down to?
1: Well, that comes down to that empathy as well because I told myself straight away that if I was going to do this job, I was going to do it my way and give people a positive experience when they're making such a big purchase. So that was my way of kind of linking it to something that I can be passionate about.
0: Yeah, wow. I know? You. Yeah. So you're there for a couple of years?
1: Yeah, so I ended up being there for a few years and when I got some the good award. Money, you
0: got to set yeah. your family and your life up a little bit with your had you been were you married by then or did you get married pretty quickly? No,
1: we were actually together for like ten years before yeah. we got married. We we're going through like um, you know, growing together kind no. of thing. We both had um Ambitions, complicated 20s, childhoods yeah. as well. So it was just finding ourselves and and then being ready to come together. But um, yeah, no, Yeah, so we went from, I went from being at the dealership and then I got offered another opportunity and everything just kept linking towards me. Like when I was working at car sales, I sold a card to this woman that was working in youth mental health and then that for me, I was like this is like after everything that I'd experienced already in my life and I knew that like I had like I had the qualifications just through life experience yeah. yeah and yeah so then I got offered a job working in youth mental health and I embraced that and that was just another incredible experience because that really led me into you know my youth work and everything that came after that.
0: What were you doing in youth mental health?
1: So in youth mental health I was like a support person and a case manager for um I looked after some kids that had schizophrenia um very complex mental health disorders as well some of them had like several mental health disorders so I'd go and I'd spend the day with them and take them to like their appointments as well as do like a bit of coaching and mentoring did you have to do any
0: training for this
1: um, no, because they actually allowed me because of my life experience. They wanted to fill a spot called peer support work. Uh-huh. So I was able to step into that role just based on my life experience. Awesome. So that was really cool. And also just through meeting them, it was one of the particular roles that you can get into through life experience. Um, everything else, like you yeah. need your certifications for. um, But, yeah, there was that and then I went from looking after the kids one-on-one to feeling like I wanted to be able to look after people like one-to-many rather than one-to-one and I started wanting to, you know, I wanted to try to find my story and find like what I could create to be able to help more kids rather than just one. And, um, yeah, and then I started working at a professional speaking institute and that was another
0: yeah, it sounds like Another all these chapter. all these things have led to where you are now, which I'm really excited to catch up to. But yeah. I'm sure we're getting pretty close to it because I want to go pretty deep into the project. Um, yeah.
1: Oh, what's the Rescue name? Children. Project
0: Rescue Children and, yeah, learn a bit more about it, how people can help and whatnot. But so working as a mental health towards the end of your 30s, I guess, mid-20s. Yeah. Yeah. Public speaking agency. How'd that come about? What was the agency?
1: Yeah, so that was in my late twenties. I started I actually went to a one-day event to learn how to do a keynote speech with um Speakers Institute, which is an institute in Sydney. It's actually an Australian institute and they teach how to um, do keynote talks and how to public speak. I need to go and do one of those courses,
0: I think. (laughs) Yeah, oh, they're
1: epic. So, yeah, I basically, I went to, like, this one-day free event, and then I decided I was going to go do one of their boot camps, and I signed up for that, and I went and learned how to do a keynote speech, and I did that at the event, and I did my first ever one. And What did
0: you speak about? Was this... Yeah, what did you yeah speak basically
1: of? what I'm speaking about now is well, kind of like journey. it was all about well, Storytelling. it was all, it was all about yeah, and that's well they focus on story showing, which is really interesting because they teach you how to. You know, um, really like move your body and stuff on stage to be able to create that impact and share the story, but also to yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. I know
0: a little but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've just done enough, and I watch how people react.
1: Yeah, well, you'd actually really love it because they also they they teach you how to like tell the story with like showing people the story on stage. So mm. like, it's just so awesome. good. But yeah, so I was sharing. Um, it was all like because I wanted to become a youth speaker at that time and i basically it was all just about perseverance and like um just inspiration for youth basically because i'd had this life experience and then i'd also embraced all these opportunities and i wanted to share that more so i went through that boot camp and then i went out and i did um, my talks i spoke at like juvie centers spoke at some schools and that was incredible And then I started volunteering for the Institute and then they offered me a full-time job. (laughs) So that's when I shifted there. I did um, two years as like a growth coach and consultant and I also helped train the people up on stage because the Institute just found that I had a natural kind of connection with people. Yeah. And I just, um, that willingness to constantly put myself outside my comfort zone, which Sometimes I'm just like, why do I do this to oh, myself?
0: That's sure. oh, the best way to live, though. It is, it really is and it's—it's it's like
1: it's—I don't know—I I, I never feel more alive.
0: Yeah, if you want extraordinary experiences, you will have to do extraordinary things.
1: Yeah, that's it. Yeah, so I went through Speakers Institute, and then um, yeah, and then basically, um, it was kind of like Dane and I—I I can't remember. Like everything kind of blends together, but basically. Through doing the event management, through doing sales, through doing Speakers Institute, through doing youth mental health, I then wanted to, um, we were like building, like planning on building our house and we were getting married. And at that time I was like, all right, I'm just going to go and do just another, I want to get something else on my tool belt, which actually came about through the last few years. I was, like, it was
0: sort of in COVID period. Yeah.
1: So I was like, Speakers Institute wasn't, it got shut down basically mm. during that time. And obviously we weren't doing boot camps. We weren't doing events and everything. So at that point I was like, all right, well, what do I do now? So we did transition online for a bit and I did some events through there, but it wasn't as fulfilling for me because I'm connection. Yeah. Like I'm all yeah, about the connection. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, So that's when I went into youth um youth work and I did like um like started doing like my diploma in youth work and then I transitioned into youth housing and this is where it's just honestly the last four years has just accelerated me into my purpose in the world and now I am living my purpose which we will get to but yeah I worked in youth housing in Australia for about two years um with Children that were quite high behavior had been through quite a lot of traumatic situations, and I, as a worker, I go in there and I do like twenty four hour shifts with them. So I basically live with them in um, it's like an alternate um, alternate care basically. So it's like an emergency care. Uh-huh. So the kids have come straight out of juvie, or they've just been removed from abusive situations, and I then, as a youth worker, come in and I basically care for these children. And do 24-hour shifts so I was wow. doing like because I just loved the impact and in and then like you build that connection with the kid as well and you start to see any changes that you can make but a lot of the kids are quite high behavior so it's challenging it's tough, yeah. to make that impact um so yeah I did that for a couple of years and that just taught me so much you because learned
0: so many stories about these kids and I'm oh, guessing this is where you probably yeah. learned about the extreme side of Yes. what happens with children
1: yeah well this is definitely when um another like awareness occurred within me about child trafficking and the absolute like it's the fastest growing criminal enterprise in the world wow it happens globally um happens worldwide happens in australia happens in the uk happens in western countries happens overseas um in the african countries happens in every country so yeah this is where as soon as i had this awareness and this awakening to child trafficking
0: yeah where were you first exposed to this
1: i was first exposed to it wasn't it wasn't during my time in youth housing however that did it did it kind of all links towards because i was exposed to a lot when i was young as well um so i had been i had had this awareness and this Awakening to like child abuse from hmm. from like I like so there was this
0: awareness of the mistreat yeah, treatment of children mistreatment not of
1: children, but then trafficking, but, is but a kind of new
0: sto- whole new story.
1: Yeah, but kind of what I mean is that it landed heavier for me, and I was ready to hear about it mm. because I had almost been aware that this happens to children. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um. So basically, yeah, there was just. It was honestly, it was through a video where I learned that in Australia we have a 90-year pedophile suppression order in our government and this suppression order is actually on police documents that name 28 high-up officials, including former prime ministers, judiciary judges, police officers, some of them still practising. They have severe crimes against children and it's on police documents. And here in Australia, we have a suppression order on these documents for ninety years. They
0: protect pedophiles, eh? They Why?
1: protect pedophiles. So basically, they don't want people to lose faith in the judiciary the system. system or the government system. So this was my so awakening. So it's national
0: security. It's not good for the destabilization of the government. It's like
1: exactly. And there's nothing better than anyway. If it came out, so basically, yeah. I had this. I was um shared this. Video of um, Bill Hefferman sharing this in the Australian Senate. He shared um, in front of the Senate, he was sharing, I've had these documents placed in front of me. They are disturbing documents and they name these 28 people. Anyway, he, so I saw that video and that awakened me to another level of that going on in Australia. And then from there, I kind of started to just attract to me lots more information about it. And and anyway, yeah. Then I started advocating. I started.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, because pedophilia is one thing, and trafficking's an ex the next level of kids. Like, like how many kids are trafficked in Australia, average a year?
1: So in Australia, so in here. Australia, a lot of what happens with children is all through online grooming. So it's all a lot of stuff that goes on in the dark web. Mm. So there is trafficking in Australia. The trafficking numbers in Australia are, are, not, well, as ast- are not as astronomical as what they are African, in other countries. Yeah. Well, not even just African America. countries, like. Yeah, like we're even investigating. There's been a hundred and it's about 160 children that have gone missing in the UK recently through home office. So they were placed in home office and they've just disappeared. So there's it's happening in Western countries and it's happening quite a lot. I
0: watched a talk about that recently in the UK where they used to take them to this like house, all the kids who were, um, yeah, under housing like you know what i mean like are the most vulnerable kids who have got no family and then they groom them to these elites
1: exactly <laughs> well the thing is like with what has just occurred in um the uk it's been through um they were all refugee children that yeah. have just come over and this is this year
0: they don't have anyone to look for them yeah and, it's just, dis-
1: and they've just disappeared so but in australia our um our team with project rescue children which i'll share more about um, they, we have a team that operates in the dark web because basically what a lot of people don't know is there is a whole nother world out there in the dark web. Um, so the dark web is basically the bottom of the iceberg. The tip of the iceberg is like Facebook, mm. Instagram, Twitter, TikTok.
0: Yeah, what we actually see.
1: Google. Yeah, what you mainstream can actually... media. See, so many people, they'll Google things and they'll go, oh, yeah, that's fact. That's the information. You get your like our team going to the dark web and the stuff that's in the dark web, we, we're full discretion with what we share on on our social media. So with with Project Rescue Children. Yeah, let's and, get
0: to how you met Project yeah, Rescue Children.
1: So I met Pro, Project Rescue Children because when I had this um, awareness around child trafficking come about in my life and I was doing the youth work, I, I just couldn't stay silent. Like yeah. it's just too important for me and it's too important that it comes out of the shadow so that people, so it can no longer exist basically. Mm. Unless we shine a light on these things, they can't be ended. So anyway, I started doing like my own awareness events. I started um, basically I created like my first event to do awareness in like August 2020 and I just did it off my own bat. I just created an event. I wanted to spread awareness about the suppression order in Australia I wanted to spread awareness that slavery and child trafficking and human trafficking is still very much existing Mm. in the world. I learned that it is the fastest growing criminal enterprise in the world, bringing in over $150 billion a year. So I started doing rallying and I actually, my first rally, I had over 350 people say that they were going to come. So right on like click attending. and. Anyway, I prepared for this day and I turned up in Sydney um, ready to meet these people and they were there but there was also several police there and these police, they were there waiting to basically, it was almost like an intimidation to get us to not do this awareness campaign about child trafficking and about the suppression order. Basically they told me that I couldn't have and they, they quoted off like my mum's name, my dad's name that I grew up in Jindibai, and They gave me like my email address, oh, my phone number. They and were this just is like just some throw... girl that's
0: throwing a little event from a Facebook. Group. Exactly.
1: Like that's the thing. And they were like they were like on the horses. And like it was just wild. There was about 10 of them. And they they were like, oh you're Natalie, we've been trying to contact you. And I'm like, I haven't got any missed calls. Like I don't see what the problem is. Mm. Like there was n- like nothing there was no reason why we couldn't, you know? And anyway, so they ended up saying we had to cut down to 20 people, um, that you could only have 20 people speak about this one particular topic in the whole Greater Sydney. And I was like...
0: Isn't our right to protest?
1: Well, that's it. So apparently not.
0: <laughs> I mean, it was well, COVID like, times as well. Was that partly? Well, it August was August 2020, 2020.
1: But there was... we had COVID. Yeah, well, not really because deep COVID kind of came like 21, 22 2020, we had the the first lockdown in March, and then there wasn't really any lockdown mm. from what I can remember. There definitely wasn't a lockdown happening during the role that of the story, time. Police
0: tried to close it down.
1: Basically. Fishy.
0: So that's before Basically. you. Was that for Project? Um,
1: no. So, so that was, that was you that, that was
0: found some information and went, I'm going to throw an event to raise some awareness of the fact that there's this. So anyone who gets caught being a pedophile in Australia isn't there like a sex offenders list or not in Australia? Do you get ninety years? It's protected,
1: years? so there is a sex offenders list, but it's no one's different. allowed to see it. Basically, they um. don't. It's, it's just they they're basically and and the CEO will say this: Australia and Western country, especially Australia, are pedoph- pedophile protectors. So, um, and we've seen it time and time again, and. Basically, um, yeah, so basically, I did like that event, event. So and they I, kind of shut it down I, the
0: police. That probably they, gave you more fuel on the fire. Uh, like, fuck this, I'm going after this even more.
1: Yeah, well, that's it. And we started getting like lots of like awareness and signatures to raise this suppression order. Because at the end of the day, if these names can't come out, then how does. Not only the survivors get justice, but every other child that's experiencing abuse, like you see a lot of cases, or you don't see a lot of cases in the media, but you see cases of child abuse and they get let off with such small sentences. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just, it's fishy and it's not right. And basically I just continued doing like a lot of my own advocacy. And then that's when I connected with Adam Whittington, who is the CEO of Project Rescue Children, absolute incredible man doing absolutely incredible things in the world. And he basically, um, I met him just through social media. And then because of the work that I had been doing and just because of um, just the alignment with the work the PRC did, we ended up chatting. And then I I basically showed my interest to be a formal ambassador for PRC. And um, not long after Adam just basically said he'd be honored to have me on board. So I became an ambassador for Project Children. And what did that look like, just like Children? helping
0: spread the message?
1: Yeah, so as an ambassador, it was more, um, so when I did events now, I'd be, I, like I wear like the PRC gear and I speak a lot about the work that the PRC is doing and also because PRC is also, um, they expose as well, everything, and yeah. especially what's happening in Australia as well. So basically it was just more, like it's still a volunteer role because yeah. Project Rescue Children is a registered charity foundation. Every single person um, that works for PRC is a volunteer, including Adam. So Adam, he's ex-army, ex-police officer. And basically when he was um, working in those roles, he found that there was a lot of red tape when it came to rescuing children, which is just ridiculous, right? So that's when he started PRC and... And basically, it then meant that it would be an NGO, NFT, um, purely volunteer run. Every single dollar that gets donated to Project Rescue Children goes towards the children and our operations. And yes, so then back in 2017, it was established. And since then, thousands of children have been rescued. Like Adam and our team have rescued over 100 children just this year.
0: Wow around so yeah let's talk about that now so it's a international organization obviously yeah. is he from america
1: no he's australian he's australian oh, he's australian. Okay. australian
0: yeah was it originated in australia
1: yes yeah, so yeah so it's an australian organization a uk organization yeah. and a gambian organization so basically what that means is it's registered in those three charities and we currently operate in over 14 countries. Yeah. So, yeah, as a um, the Australian, it was registered first as an Australian organisation.
0: So what's like the mission statement of Project Rescue Children? What, what do you guys do?
1: So we hunt those who hunt children. Wow. Yeah.
0: Give me some numbers. How many internationally children go missing or... Uh, taken or
1: so it's roughly because obviously there's a lot that go undercover but there's about 20 million children a year um that are exposed to child trafficking and that's (sighs) just child trafficking
0: but who's like who buys children I, I, it just, obviously, in my reality,
1: yeah,
0: I wouldn't even know. I wouldn't even understand, like, where would you go if you want to buy? A, like, I just don't yeah. get it. It doesn't make any sense in my logical mind. So who's buying these 20 million children a year or buying or traffic? Like, obviously, probably not even buying, just,
1: you know yeah. what I mean? Like, where yeah. are
0: they? Are they, like, locked in a room and they're just toys for the elites? Are they
1: yes in
0: African countries as slaves in mines and cobalt mines and stuff? Like, who's buying these children?
1: Okay, so who are you hunting? You know what? Like, this is a very good question because there is this kind of perceived idea that it's it's very far removed from us as individuals, right? So we, we, it's kind of like we we um
0: hiding in plain sight.
1: Well, that's it. It's hiding in plain sight, and it comes as close. And this is something that we are also teaching when we teach a lot of our programs is that. Like grooming and pedophilia, a lot of the time it'll start as close as the home, as close as family, friends, as close as teachers, as close as the thing is. Ninety-three
0: percent of sexual assaults, the person knows who the um, assailant was. Yeah, correct. Read that yeah, on Instagram this morning. Oh, <laughs> <a> good <laughs> work. Looked like I knew a lot.
1: Like, yeah. yeah, good <laughs> work. Um, but yeah, so when it comes to who's trafficking children, it varies, but it is as I said, the fastest growing criminal enterprise in the world, bringing in $150 billion. So that just tells you that there are a lot more child predators out there than what the society is being told about, right? So basically how it works is a lot of our operations that we rescue children from, like more recently, actually very recently, last week our team rescued 18 children under five years old. Um, from a pedophile syndicate um, ring in Uganda and these children and like disclaimer this is heavy information but it needs to be spoken about these children had injuries all over their body they couldn't walk they couldn't speak we are yet to identify exactly where they have been brought from and basically these 18 children under five years old we we persecute the abusers as well. So the, the trafficker was there. We arrested her and we got a little bit of information out of her. Basically, these 18 children were being sent to be sacrificed. Now, this is another heavy topic when it comes to the reality of child trafficking because it's not just rape trafficking. It's organ harvesting that's occurring. It's um, child Adrenaline sacrifice. And blood.
0: I don't know much about that, but
1: no, you know, we won't go there. Sake, yeah, because yeah, yeah. that's um, yes, well, but
0: that's sacrificing, I guess. Well, saying. the
1: sacrifice, yes, there is there is um, a lot of talk about some other things that could be going on in the world, but until we as Project Rescue children are able to, yeah, don't want to talk about. Yeah, it. That's fine. but the sacrifice that we experience. So Uganda, for instance, is um, the epicenter of child sacrifice in the world. Basically. The poverty over there, the families um, are so poverty stricken basically that they sell sell their children. In some cases they'll sell their children to 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 the witch. They have witch doctors over in Uganda and basically they will sell a child to be taken to this witch doctor and be saccharine, sorry, and be... (laughs) I come. <laughs> and they basically they kill children for for wealth or for health or but Spirit's that's and for- yeah so that's occurring in plain sight really the whole world can learn about this like that's the stuff that is in plain sight the rest of the stuff um i believe eventually all truths will be disclosed in the world but the stuff that when we're when we're presented with the fact that these children have just been rescued and we've had the solid information there that these children were being taken for for sacrifice, for organ harvest, and then they, they they take their organs and stuff as well, so they do the rituals on them and then they take their organs and sell them on the black market. Now, basically, this is happening not like that's the epicentre in Uganda. Um But then when it comes to, you know, the black market and such as well. So this is where a lot of our team um, will find out like where the traffickers are all around the world and who they're trafficking children to and where from and where to. So basically in the dark web, as we've mentioned before, this is where a lot of the pedophiles have their own forums as well. And they get in touch with traffickers through the dark web. So, a lot of what's happening is operating in the dark web. And if you think about it, how much influence do our governments have all around the world if they're not actually stopping this horrendous crime, right? Like, if all this stuff can be existing behind the shadows, they have proof of it, like, I'm
0: promoting it.
1: That. That's Crazy. the thing, like, on um on our social medias like everywhere you will see like we share whenever we've rescued children like we we've rescued, as i said over 100 children this year three young girls were rescued back in february um from the czech republic um they were aged around 11 to 14 and our ceo adam winnington and the team yeah, rescued these girls and um, persecuted the trafficker as well. So the operations that we do as an organisation, we're very transparent.
0: I was going to say, is that pretty hard legally to be able to persecute someone without being a law enforcement?
1: So we are connected with law enforcement. Okay. So in particular like most countries, want
0: to turn a blind eye to it.
1: In Western countries, they a lot of them okay. turn a blind eye to it. Um, for instance, in the Gambia, we are connected with the head of police and the police there, the immigration and the tourism. And we've just now also signed a formal partnership with the Ministry of Education. So this, um, it's basically as an operation, we make sure that we are connected in the countries that we have the opportunity, like we try to get connection with as many yeah law enforcement but with the operations like with those three girls that were just rescued they were being trafficked by one of the girls mothers that was the trafficker um basically yeah we have a team and then we have um like the police force that are also we work with in particular countries and they will come to those operations with the team and basically be there ready to um prosecute the abusers and the traffickers so yeah this is it's a big topic, but the reason that it's important for us to talk about it and have this conversation, the reason I'm so grateful that you're having this conversation of course, as well. Thank you. No, thank you. Um is because if we just stick our head in the sand about these topics, it's they remain, to they continue to grow, and these traffickers, these pedophiles, these groomers, it continues in the shadows and A lot of people believe it's not happening in Australia, but it's happening in Australia, and a lot of it is happening through social media. So, we've got our undercover team that go on social media as well. The amount of um, groomers and pedophiles that have fake accounts that get onto, you know, Roblox, um, Twitter, like um, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram. There's a lot happening with our children in the way of being groomed, and there's a lot that you don't hear about as well because there's a lot that um, isn't shared publicly. Give
0: me a good story about something that's happened in Australia that you're baffled that it's not all over the news. I'm sure you've got one from the last uh, year or two.
1: So in Australia, um,
0: something that you're just like, are you kidding? That's happening here?
1: Yeah. Well, there's there was um there was like trafficking like syndicates and rings that were um, that were disclosed like down in Victoria and such more recently in the last couple of years. And they had several children um, that they rescued and prosecuted those abusers. And you find that the media, they either won't share it or they just they cover the face of the perpetrator and they don't disclose the name of the perpetrator. The big thing for me with Australia that blows my mind is that in our prisons... They actually have a section where every pedophile that goes into the prison gets put in a protected section mm. all together and the big thing that blows my mind is that they then get an opportunity to give each other all their tips and their their, their tips on the black web and their tips on mm. how to rape children and their tips on abusing children. And, I never thought of that. And yeah. another, uh, there was a big, um, we did an investigation recently as well, there was... A man that had his mobile phone in his back pocket at a pool, like a very normal-looking man. He was in his late twenties, I believe, and he had his mobile phone in his back pocket. He had his i um, Apple iPhone watch on, and behind him, a mother was changing her children at a local pool. Through his phone, he was
0: clicking, take photo he while was his photos. He was taking photos the back of his pocket.
1: Exactly, he was taking photos. Um, while his phone was in his back pocket facing the children. Um, But, yeah, he was prosecuted. We investigated it as well. He was prosecuted. um, But just the fact that circumstances like that you don't see on the news and you just think why? Like why wouldn't this man who's now been arrested for for, for collecting child pornography, because that's what that is. Like they sell it on the Mm. dark web and they sell it in these pedophile forums and it is prolific like it isn't just of like uh oh no that'll never happen to my child this is happening everywhere and like in in like a daycare center the other day um a man was pretending that one of the children was his daughter whilst he was playing with this child and basically he ended up the the parents saw that this was happening and basically I don't know, the circumstance is a little bit um, questionable but basically that parent somehow was educated enough to know that if this pedophile was to get arrested right there on that spot, if he was to call the police and arrest him right now, he'd get let off because he's protected basically. No evidence, um, they basically would just let him off. So basically this parent watched as this pedophile was basically grooming his child which is again um i'm not yeah Yeah. it's very questionable but basically this man walked this child his child to the front door as if to take her out of the center and take her home so basically he had the parent had the police waiting outside and then they were able to charge him on kidnapping so this is where it comes down. always happening, eh? Well, that's the thing. Like, it is happening daily. and The craziest is on social out.
0: media. Like, Instagram, you see all those accounts that parents make for their little superstar kids and stuff. And you, I've seen it a bunch pop up recently. And you look through the comments and it's just all creepy dudes with kids and families. <sighs> and, like, I've seen a bunch of people on TikTok that have been, like, a friend of mine, actually. Um, this girl started, like, sending messages to all the, like, people's, like, partners and stuff, like, calling yeah. them out that they're, like, sending love hearts on, like, four-year-old girls at, like, gymnastics and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I'll have to show you her account. Yeah, please. She very big on it. Her name's Jade. Um, But, yeah, like, just what are some tips, I guess, for people who have young kids, who have kids who are teenagers? Yeah. Yeah. yeah to protect yourself and to be aware of this sort of stuff that is happening in the country
1: yeah absolutely well when um when it comes down to australia we're very much um the first place is to be able to educate your children so we do have on um on adam's page adam winnington um and on prc we we have books that teach about like um you know body safety and so forth that you can read your ch- child they're very very um easy for a child to receive and it's basically teaching your child the correct terminology for their body mm. so penis vagina teach them everything teach them anus teach them teach them their body so parts Communicate. that's it because to a predator a predator like a pedophile is terrified of a child that understands their body
0: mm.
1: you know because then they know that they're educated and they know that they quite possibly can't get away with molesting that child But when it comes to like daycares and stuff as well, it's really important that daycares in Australia start banning that the daycare workers can have their phones there as well because we've had many cases lately where we've arrested pedophiles that were given, this is something that happened recently in Australia and Project Rescue Children investigated it and then got the um, perpetrator um, arrested. Basically, this childcare worker was a convicted, um, it was on the predators list and he got given a job at a childcare center and with his phone he was taking the children to the bathroom. So it starts at home, it starts in the everyday of like the operations with your children. And then it also is when it comes to online, it's about teaching your children to not add anyone on social media they don't know. Have their accounts on private, don't talk to anyone that they don't know in Mm. real life. you know, just those fundamental things. And also this kind of leads into um, the Child Safety Workshop, Be Brave, that I've created along with PRC because we teach children um, all about pedophilia. We teach them about grooming. We teach them about tips to protect themselves and we give them a way that they'll have an outlet to be able to have a conversation with a parent or a teacher or someone that they trust, you know. No, I think
0: Same. it's it's obviously amazing the work you guys are doing and the impact that you're having not only in Australia. I just want to quickly talk about I've seen you've been over in um a few of those African countries yeah. recently running workshops and whatnot. Is this what it's about, this kind of be brave teaching kids? Because obviously over there is a whole other kettle of fish compared to what we're experiencing here over there having the sacrifice and all this stuff is just yeah. like. Like you guys said, you saved 100 people and you're one of the biggest organisations probably doing this in the world, but there's 20 million kids going missing a year. It's like there's a big gap there. How do we help more?
1: Yeah, so this is it. So there are a lot of organisations and charities that say that they are doing this work. And this is where a lot of discretion now comes down to those that are actually advocating for other charities that are donating to other charities, start to investigate where your money's going because Mm. a lot of the time, all you've got to do is get onto like the... You can see
0: it all online. Yeah,
1: you just get onto like the ACA and have a look and it shows you how much money the organisation makes in wages, how much money they spend on their offices. Like Mm. there's been other organisations that have made like $60 million in a year and they've paid their staff a total of like
0: 45 million like crazy yeah.
1: amounts and then they also they they're not they say that they're rescuing children but there's no proof of it our organization is actually a small organization we are we are now becoming quite well known um we are growing but we are still a small organisation that is doing their absolute best and yeah. we're making a big din in the world. Like we are really exposing a lot about child trafficking um, and just how poli- prolific it is throughout the world. And, yeah, so really um, with PRC, whilst you, you've said that it was a, it's a big organisation, it's, it's making a big impact. It's still a small organisation and we're purely run on, yeah, volunteers, yeah, volunteers. and donations. But, yeah, so... Um, More recently, yeah, I funded um, my husband and I funded our trip over to the Gambia. Yeah. So, did you want me to go in and speak about that? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, basically, because we're also a Gambian organisation over in the Gambia, it is Western pedophiles that are coming over and raping the children. So it's child rape tourism, child sex tourism, but it's child rape tourism because children do not consent. So, basically, over in the Gambia, children are being sold to Western pedophiles, pedophiles from Australia, pedophiles from the UK, pedophiles from America. And then
0: bringing them back or just sleeping, like, doing the unthinkable with them and then just coming home?
1: That's it. So, they come over to the Gambia and they are being sold children and they are raping the children and then they themselves have their time there and then they go home. So, basically... Waits for the next it's horrific so basically though as project rescue children we are now connected with the gambian police over there and the head policeman is awesome so the ig we're connected with him and he's fully on board to helping us abolish child oh. rape tourism um so we've got posters that we put up at the police of uh, police stations and like all around the gambia basically that say um child rape tourism not welcome and we give like a number that they can contact our team as well to um to like report any cases or anything. Yeah, do you get
0: kids reporting stuff ever now? Like that yeah. there's a bit of noise?
1: So this is um this actually leads into what we've just done over there because we through what we've just achieved over there, which I will share with you, we've had kids starting to step forward, disclosing their own cases. So we are starting to, you know, make that impact over there. Basically, we went over, we have a rescue centre in the Gambia. So we have rescue centres in the Gambia, in Kenya. Um, Basically, this is where when we rescue children, we've got a safe house for Mm. them to come to. We then also have... um, we have like, oh, what do they call it, rescue packs as well. These rescue packs, um, through donations, we put them together and we have those for the children. So it's just full of just like, um, just that's it. Just, but our rescue centres basically, um, they start from scratch and then we build on them. My husband, he's a builder um carpenter and he came over with me and with the help of the donations um for project rescue children dane installed the first ever shower there because they were all washing in a bucket um because it's a very poor country over there like and it's next level like when you see it in Mm. person i was kind of when i first went over i was like before i got there A lot of people, because my best friend, she went over um, a few years ago to Uganda and she experienced quite a lot when she was over there as well and she said to me, like, really brace yourself, like, prepare because it is it is like a a shock, like, once you see it. And I I understood it would be a shock but I kind of felt like because of my life experience, because of my awareness of without the world, because I'd travelled to other Mm. third world countries, I kind of thought, oh, I'll, I'll be able to handle it basically. Once you actually get there and see how they are living, it's just not fair. Mm. It's not fair. And you start to think like, like, how is this fair? How is it fair that we live over here with the comfort that we do and the resources, even though there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes, especially to do with children that people aren't aware of. But over there, it's just next level the conditions that they're living in. So basically, yeah, through the donations, um, my husband put a shower into the rescue center for the very first time. He installed a toilet, proper toilet, ceramic toilet. And we also had raised money to put a new roof on the rescue center because the old roof would blow off when the wind when it was windy at night. So all the volunteers would have to hold down the roof in the middle of the night. Otherwise it would blow off. So yeah, we um we Um, with the builders over there and the PRC team and the donations and my husband supervising. They put a brand-new roof on the rescue centre. We put a fridge in the rescue centre for the first time because hygiene is massive over there as well. And basically as well, we have a PRC rescue baby over there. So back in December, we had... Our team catch wind of a operation that was happening, a trafficking operation that was happening in the Gambia at one of the local markets. Basically, we found out that a mother had recently given birth to her baby and had sold her baby to traffickers and that baby was about to be sold at a local market into the black market for child trafficking. Now, what it's important for people to understand because when people say like um, like why child trafficking and everything, well, if you think about like a drug dealer, right, they sell drugs and they get money once. You sell mm. a child, you get money over and over and over and mm. over again, right? So this is.
0: Yeah. So it's not just selling a child to someone and they keep them locked up in a basement. No. It's, you come and. Buy the child for a moment of time yes. to do what you want, and uh, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: So this is this is
0: because I think people might get confused, and this is something that I thought too. Like when I think trapping Hollywood I think you take it everywhere. and you have, you own the child, but it doesn't really work like that. Because,
1: no, that's like you know, that's kind of where the movies, slavery, have yeah, yeah. movies have confused people. Movies are kind of is
0: more so having a child in a place, but then you come and do what you want with them, and the parents of it letting it happen. There was a story actually in America there was these two. Um, gay guys who yes yeah and yeah. they were
1: we, we exposed that on project rescue Children. oh no my dad yeah.
0: was keeps harping on about it going and then it just doesn't get shown in the news There's yeah two guys that's guys who were the heroes of like the gay movement yes. of like yeah look we're raising our two sons and or whatever what- and then they were S- selling them out to all their horrific,
1: friends, it's a um, horrific to case. Sleep with them, like it's horrific cave. Is- and you can find, and anyone listening as well can find that on Project Rescue Children's Instagram. Yeah, you'll see the picture of those two men and the children. It's and obviously, we blur the faces of the children, but we expose, we do not shy away from yeah. exposing these monsters basically. If we're, when we find proof and we've got, we've got the Ah, evidence evidence and, and this is the thing like Project Rescue Children, it's what's happening to children is not a conspiracy. Go and have a look at Project Rescue Children. You'll see the legitimacy Mm. of what's happening in the world. But basically, yes. So with our PRC baby, so in December, this baby girl had just been born. Um, our team caught wind of it through the dark web we linked up with the head of police and the police in the Gambia that we're connected with and they went to the markets right and they were looking around for something suspicious they didn't know where this baby Mm -hmm. they didn't even know if she was going to be at that market so basically they spread out they saw two men that looked suspicious and they saw a basket they approached these men and these men saw them and ran and in the basket was our baby, Maria. Wow. Maria, sorry. Um, Maria, Maria was only hours old. So she was hours old. Basically, the mother, from what we understand, the mother was, um, she basically had that baby to sell. So conceived to sell that baby into trafficking. Now, um, baby Maria is now in the full-time care of Project Rescue Children, We've um, registered her, named her. Maria means miracle. Wow! So she's our PRC baby, and um, Adam Whittington's um, on is now legal father as wow. well. And I'm honoured to be godmother to Good Maria. So I got to go and meet Maria. Wow! And that was really special. So Maria is literally just like a shining, just example of just how much the operations through PRC are changing kids' lives, you know. But in, um, in Kenya as well, we have rescue centres. We have a school in Kenya as well. We're doing big work in Kenya. But with our, um, with our child safety program, so going over to the Gambia, whilst I was over in the Gambia, not only were we at the rescue centre and I met Mireya. I also was able to, with some of the PRC content that teaches about pedophiles and grooming and such, I was able to put together a program um, that I named Be Brave Child Safety Program, which basically I took around with the team to local schools and we educated, um, yeah, children, over 200 children in two weeks at these schools.
0: Good on you. Yeah.
1: And then that just eventuated as well, because from there we were getting such a good response from the teachers that we um, we decided to go and make contact with the Ministry of Education in the Gambia, and we set up an appointment. And then we went into the appointment, and I pitched the program. I let them know that children had already been stepping forward to disclose their own cases of abuse in the Gambia since attending the workshops. And basically I proposed that they could add this workshop into their school curriculum free of charge and they were stoked. Wow. So they were thrilled and they basically set me up a meeting with the Director of Curriculum and right away I went to that meeting and I sat down with the Director of Curriculum in the Gambia and he was very happy as well with it. And basically now the program, the PRC Child Safety Program, um is being implemented into every single school in the Gambia. So. Wow,
0: you should be so proud. like your journey is just so special. like the world needs more people doing stuff like you, and yeah, it's just opened my whole mind to what's really going on out there. I had suspicions, but I've learned so much from this chat. Um what's the best way if anyone wants to support? Yeah, I'll leave in the show notes obviously all this, but yeah, where can they find and support this amazing work you're doing?
1: Yeah, thank you. So. Project Rescue Children, you'll find us online. Um, Facebook, Instagram is the best place to connect. Connect with Project Rescue Children on Instagram. Connect with Adam Whittington, our CEO. He definitely shares a lot more than what anyone else in the world is sharing about this topic and he'll also share so many tips about how you can protect your own children, um, protect your nieces and nephews, protect your brothers and sisters, protect every child in the world. So it starts um, starts at home, starts from our own selves, starts from our heart and together as we speak about these and have these conversations and and listen to these podcasts and and learn about this stuff, this topic, we can literally abolish it. So we can. We are so powerful as individuals and the more people that are speaking about it, the more people exposing it, the quicker that we'll bring it out of the shadows into the light and end it Mm. for good. But it takes every single person standing up for it. Adam Whittington, he says... um, that his mission is to rescue and his dream is that one day he won't have to. Mm,
0: I love that. So we all stand by that. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It's been amazing to learn your story, why you do what you do. The impact you guys are having globally is just profound. I do finish Good Humans podcast with the same question for everyone. So I'm going to ask you the same thing. I'm excited to hear your answer for this. What does being a good human mean to Natalie London?
1: It means operating from your heart and treating people well. And creating positive change in the
0: world. Absolutely love it. Well, you're doing just that. I can't thank you enough for this conversation. Make sure you go click the links, donate to Project Rescue Children, learn more about it, educate yourself, educate your children. Go check out Natalie's page as well. It'll be in the show notes. And yeah, thank you so much for jumping on Good Humans Podcast. I
1: appreciate you. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.